Uh, what's happened is that uh, they've gone through the review process. Uh, the CEO has had a conversation with Alistair Coutier on the 18th of January and said to him, there's two ways of doing this. One, we can have the review and you're gone. The other one is we can shake hands, we can look at a settlement and you will leave with a bit of dignity. The other one is you can stay and you're going to be a ceremonial coach. Your win percentage of 11 from 25 is not good enough. We gave you everything in 2017. You failed to produce. He's gone away. He sat with his legal team and he's fired off an email, 19 pages, and said... You've treated me with disdain. Uh, you brought in another guy, Rassi Rasmus, who's coming as director of rugby. It's uh, a backhanded, uh, backdoor way of him getting in to take over the Springboks. He's played the race card. He's played every card except 11 from 25. And he's going to fight them. Uh, as he says, it's not for the money. It's all about the money. He's going to fight them to try and get his four-year, uh, the two years that are still remaining, paid out. Uh, they fight him not to pay him out. While this is all happening, Rassi Rasmus has started. He came back from Munster uh, the, the, the beginning of November. He's uh, started to work. He's been at every franchise. He's met with the coaches. He's just getting on with the job of basically preparing the squad to play against uh, England in June. And I think this is going to still go on illegally. Why they're not overly concerned, the South African Rugby Union, in terms of the leadership, is that they effectively have got his replacement doing the job already, but in the guise of director of rugby. Uh, Mark, I didn't have time to read all 19 pages of it, but um, I see that he said there that he, he felt that Rassi Erasmus was less competent than him, which, you know, Rassi's known to be a, a great innovator, and I thought he was very highly regarded. But as part of um, as part of Kutzia's complaint, did, did he get, I mean, did he feel that he was given all the resources he was promised when he applied for the job? Uh, well, this is, again, the thing. Uh, you know, he alleges that he was set up to fail. There was a trap. Well, then why did you take the job? Uh, if, if that is, uh, you know, if he knew he was being set up for some and being used on a transformation, kind of as a transformation pawn in a game of politics, then don't take the job. He effectively got the second year after the horror 2016 where he won just four from 12 on the basis that it was all last minute. He came in late. He kind of had a support staff that he didn't necessarily want. He then got his own support staff. He got all the uh, training camps for the super rugby coaches. He, uh, he got Brandon Fenter as his consultant. Uh, he got the schedules he wanted. He got the captain he wanted. He wasn't held to the transformation targets in 2017. And... Uh, he still, he took 57 from the All Blacks, a record defeat against Ireland, a loss to Wales for the second successive time, and uh, effectively just beat a very poor French side and a poor Argentinian side, and hasn't beaten anyone ranked higher than the Springboks at the time of them playing. So their thing is after two years, you actually haven't done it. And so if we discount the first year, uh, then that Irish home series we discount as well. And in the second year, you haven't really progressed it on a performance review. What's come across is poor selections, poor results, and poor game management. He subsequently come back and said, well, they traveled economy class at the end of the year. Uh, I didn't have uh, X, I didn't have Y. The structures in South African rugby are poor. The super rugby sides performed poorly. It was only the Lions that did it, and that's not test rugby. He has done everything except look at his own failings and his own vulnerabilities. And I think that's the big eye-opener to whoever may still have felt within the organization to continue to invest in this guy is that he was never going to be good enough to take them through for the next two years. You know, I wrote at the time two years ago, he was never good enough to be the coach and it was going to be a painful four years. 
Uh, and, you know, the feeling here is pay him whatever you have to just get him the hell out of here because a successful boxing can make back that money. But he won't beat England. Uh, South Africa wouldn't beat England if he was in charge. And that was the whole thing of getting Erasmus back to South Africa. He'd done brilliantly at Munster over the 18 months, grown as a coach. And he was also the guy who had kind of handed over the Stormers to to, uh, to Kutia many years ago. And when he went on to, uh, to align with the national team, uh, the national performance squads, that is Erasmus, the only reason he left was because he wasn't given the responsibility of uh, the Springboks and that he was accountable for that. Uh, went to Munster, did an outstanding job and has come back and he's, and he's very much in the pound seats to, to do an ambulance job on the Springboks and then post the 2019 World Cup, I think they would look for a successor within the framework of who he's identified. Very similar to what, they, what he did at Munster. Do you see maybe Johan Ackerman in that job at some point in the near future, Mark? And would you now take an optimistic view that the box are going to be better in the next few years? Uh, they, they can't be worse than they have been under Kutsia in terms of performance, results, and obviously player identification. Uh, the jury's still out on Johan Ackerman. He did very well here. But again, there was a, the big feeling that, he, that he, he bore the fruits of what John Mitchell initially did uh, at, at the Lions. And that's why there's quite a bit of excitement about Mitchell with the Bulls, uh, who's been very good in this country at starting off teams. I think they get a bit, they, they, you know, it's a bit like an Eddie Jones thing, two, three seasons with a team may be too much for him. But uh, I think the, the feeling of Erasmus as well is let Ackerman have those two seasons at Gloucester. Let's see where everyone's positioned at the end of 2019. And what's important now is there's 18 test matches to the World Cup. They actually have the perfect draw. They're with the All Blacks. They lose that game. They go into the other side of the draw. If they then make it through to the final, that's, and the All Blacks do, that's the only other time they get to play them. So uh, the, the draw's been kind to them. Uh, this England series is big. Uh, England have won three tests in the history of, uh, of matches between the two countries uh, in South Africa. So a South African team well-selected, well-managed and well-coached at home should, should back themselves to beat England. If they can do that, it, tra- it radically changes the, the whole dynamic of the next year. And as we saw with England, how quickly a year of, of winning under Eddie Jones transformed them from their failures of 2015. So very optimistic. I just think it's going to get messy in the, in the media and it's going to get messy in the, in the eyes of the public in terms of the exit of Kutsia. But there's no coming back for him. And Erasmus will take charge of the Springboks uh, through to the World Cup and then post that, uh, I think they would then play by, yeah, does he identify a head coach to come in to the system and then he looks at the biggest South African picture or does he continue then with his priority being the Springboks and they bring in another director that, that would work closely with him. Keo, just, just one last thing from me. Does Rassi coming back to be the coach of South Africa, which hasn't been named yet, but it's looking like it is, does that mean that you might get some of those players coming back from Europe? I don't think you'll necessarily get some players coming back from Europe. Those who are coming back, there's, it's, it's strategically been done. A guy like Franz Stein, who I know he rates highly, is very tidy with Montpellier. Uh, Montpellier are very difficult in releasing him. What Rassi's already done is a look at certain players overseas and said, if we're going to pick three or four, and there's not more than five or six players that they'd want to integrate into the system, let's put them on specialized conditioning uh, programs. Let's kind of interact with them. If we're having camps in South Africa with the Super Rugby squad players, let's identify a squad of players in Europe uh, that meet in London once a month that he can actually interact with. Uh, end of year tour, potentially then play a lot of players that are based there and rest the players that are playing in the Southern Hemisphere season and then 
collectively see what is the strongest squad to take to the World Cup in 2009. And that makes, it's rational. It's, it's saying if a player is good enough uh, to make it, we'll pick him. Uh, but priority obviously lies with a player who's playing in Super Rugby and playing in the Southern Hemisphere. And if a player is here, he's got a decided advantage because he's accessible to the coach and to the conditioning coaches. But I think New Zealanders, I mean, Steve Hansen's been magnificent, but he said, Heineke, keep on going, mate. Alistair, keep on going, mate. If you're winning 11 out of 12 against a team, you'd also say keep on going with that coach. Joe Smith said the same thing. So I think Rassi Rasmus coming there, you're going to look more at a New Zealand South Africa contest becoming a seven-pointer and not a 57-pointer. Way to go, Mark. Appreciate your time. And, and also, thank you very much to whoever is your phone provider because that's the best line we've ever had out of South Africa. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers, eh?